Welcome to the Lead On Podcast. This is Jeff Orge, the president of Gateway Seminary, talking with you once again about practical issues related to ministry leadership. I hope you're having a great summer. I know I am. And I'm spending some time this summer talking to you from my book, Seasons of a Leader's Life. I've been talking uh, the past couple of weeks about some different issues related to uh, leadership and uh, what it means to really trust God as a leader and to follow Him as a leader and to experience Him as a leader. And today, I want to continue that theme by talking about this idea, leaders take risks. God's kingdom advances when leaders take risks to obey God. Peter learned this principle from Jesus in a very significant story that's familiar to almost everyone that's read the Bible. Uh, Jesus was busy with a demanding and stressful day of ministry and ended it by uh, sending his followers uh, to the other side of a lake while he waited and uh, spent some time in private prayer. The Bible says about 3 o'clock in the morning, he decided to join the guys on the boat. But during the night, a storm had come up and was tossing the boat back and forth in the waves and wind. So Jesus walked on the water through the storm and approached the boat. Now the disciples, already stressed out by their circumstances, panicked and thought they were seeing a ghost. Now, before you laugh at that too strongly, you think about what your reaction might have been. If you were in a boat, storm-tossed, wind-blown, concerned that you possibly might be shipwrecked, and you see someone walking on the water toward you, what would you think? Well, you'd probably think the same thing the disciples did. Uh, There's a ghost or an apparition or a spirit or something. It doesn't make any sense that you'd see a person walking on water. But that's exactly what was happening. The disciples must have been agitated and anxious and maybe even shouting out different things about this supposed ghost they saw because Jesus calls out to them. He said, have courage. It is I. Now, when Jesus said this... uh, Peter must have recognized Jesus, but wasn't fully convinced that it really was him. So Peter replied, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. And Jesus replied, come. So Peter climbed out of the boat and started walking toward Jesus. Now imagine that scene. Waves crashing wind howling. It's the dark of the night, this apparition-like vision of Jesus on the water, and Peter calling out, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. And Peter, stepping out of that boat in response to Jesus's one-word invitation, come. How exciting those first few steps must have been. The wind howling, the waves crashing, but Peter slowly walking on the water toward Jesus. What an exhilarating moment that must have been. Then Peter lost focus. He noticed the wind and the waves, and he started to sink, and he panicked. So he calls out to Jesus to save him. Jesus caught Peter and helped him into the boat. And when he was safe, 
Jesus said, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Now, Jesus spoke about Peter's wavering faith. And he cajoled Peter for losing focus in the midst of the storm. So there's no doubt that Peter's faith wavered. He lost his focus on Jesus and he began to sink. He cried out in desperation to be delivered because he had panicked. Now, there are countless sermons that have been preached on the symbolism of this story. Uh, Usually the ocean is uh, used to symbolize life's challenges and the importance of fixing your gaze on Jesus is uh, is uh, e- equated with not losing focus or faith on Jesus through the storms of life. And those are fine. Uh, I think there's uh, more to the story than that uh, symbolic or almost allegorical interpretation, but it's not an inappropriate use of the story. Yes, the story could be used to symbolize keeping our focus on Jesus as we follow him in faith and walk through the storms and difficulties of life. But there's one obvious fact that's often overlooked in this story. Peter got out of the boat. Peter got out of the boat. And when Jesus rebuked him for having little faith, he, even in the way he said that, acknowledged that at least Peter had faith, enough faith to get out of the boat. Twelve disciples... Twelve disciples saw Jesus walking on the water, and all of them heard Jesus say, have courage, and all of them could have heard Peter call out to Jesus and discovered that it really was Jesus out there on the water, and any of the disciples could have responded to Jesus' invitation. When Jesus said, come, it was an open-ended invitation. Peter was calling out the question, but Jesus was saying, whoever would like to come may come. But only Peter, only Peter got out of the boat. When Jesus rebuked him for losing faith, it's important to remember at least he had faith to lose. The rest of the guys never left the boat. They were content to watch Peter climb out and walk to Jesus while they looked on from relative safety. Now, Peter's experience that night illustrates this principle. Leaders take risks. They see Jesus walking where angels fear to tread and follow him there. They aren't content to sit safely watching other people take risks. They get out of the boat. Now, as a leader, I want to challenge you to take risks, to be willing to get out of the boat. Now, one of my ministry heroes is my daughter, Melody. She'll probably hear that I talked about her on this podcast and be either embarrassed or frustrated that I've done it again, but I want to talk about one of my ministry heroes, my daughter, Melody. When my daughter was in high school, she was a pretty good athlete, and particularly did well in basketball as a defensive player. She was a whirling dervish all over the court with almost a manic intensity. She always guarded the other team's best offensive player. 
And there was one particular game where the other team's best offensive player was actually leading our conference in scoring. Going into that game, we had a, a pretty good rivalry going about who might win the conference, and winning that game was essential, and stopping this best player they had offensively was high priority. And so our coach said to Melody, I don't care if you make a basket this entire game, but I want you to shut down their best scorer. Keep her from beating us. And so Melody did. Uh, she played this girl aggressively and frustrated her immensely. So by the early part of the fourth quarter, this girl, the highest scoring girl in our conference, had not scored a point. And at a moment of frustration, this girl actually slammed the basketball down on the floor, burst into tears, and walked off the court to the bench. Now, when she did that, my daughter looked up at me in the stands with a kind of a bewildered look like, what, what just happened? Well, what just happened was my daughter had been so intense in her defensive uh, game that this girl had reached a level of frustration that she just walked off the court. So that led to one of the famous phrases that uh, Melody and I used from that day forward, every time my daughter went on a basketball court or onto a track to run or onto a soccer pitch to play, the last thing I would say to my daughter before she left home or before she walked on the, to, uh, the field was, Melody, go make them cry. Now, what we meant by that was go play with intensity. Go give it all you've got. Go make the other team wish you weren't here today. Go make them cry. Now, there's another phrase that my daughter and I often said to each other, and that is, uh, don't be a stand-around girl. Now, the stand-around girls are the girls who stand around in the gym with their arms crossed, gossiping with their friends, uh, and complaining about how inadequate the girls are on the court or the girls are on the field. Uh, they're the stand-around girls. They're the girls who don't ever do anything, but they always, but they, except stand around and talk about others who are involved. They're, they're too cool to sweat. They're too self-absorbed to perform in front of other people. They're they're too insecure to risk any failure. These are the stand-around girls. And I told my daughter growing up, listen, go make them cry. Give it everything you've got. Play with your whole heart. And don't be a stand-around girl. Don't be a person who lets other people be in the game. In other words, you yourself be out there making it happen. Now, through her athletics and her early spiritual development, my daughter developed the capacity to take risks. And she demonstrated that in college in a couple of significant ways. Uh, Melody came home one day and said that she wanted to do a study abroad program in Spain. It sounded like a great idea for us, and so she arranged to do a semester abroad in Spain. But when she got there, uh, she was living with a Spanish family and was expected to learn Spanish and practice Spanish in that immersion setting. But she learned that when she got there, she could take her classes either in English or Spanish. And so my daughter decided to switch, plan, switch her, her plan and take her courses in Spanish rather than English. Now, she took two courses, and one of them was called the History of Islam. And she took it in Spanish in Spain uh, in, and not only was trying to learn the course material, but also trying to master the language at the same time. Now, while she was in Spain, not only did she do this, but she also uh, became active in a women's soccer team so that she could meet other Spanish young women. 
and share the gospel with them. And that led to a connection where she could work in a women's prison where she could also go in and offer ministry and share the gospel. So my daughter, who learned how to make him cry and refused to be a stand-around girl, turned out to be a young woman who would go to Spain, take college credit in a second language, while playing on a women's soccer team and going into a women's prison, all of which she organized on her own, none of which were part of the plan that she originally went there to fulfill. That's what it means to be willing to take risks. And then after she did that, she uh, came home and later arranged another internship and she needed an internship to complete her program. So rather than do a simple one, she decided to create an internship in the Middle East. And so she went and lived for five months in the Middle East and worked as an assistant basketball coach and mentor for young women who were uh, trying to develop uh, a basketball program in an Islamic culture. I'm telling you, my daughter is one of my heroes because she is a risk taker. She's not afraid to get in the game. She's willing to do things that other people only talk about doing. And now uh, she's married to a church planter and they're in Wyoming and they took the great risk of moving there to start a church with from scratch. Uh, they had one other couple that wanted them to come and help them get this done. And from that, in just a year or so's time, they've produced a remarkable movement of people who are coming to faith and who are forming a congregation and who are building a new church in that community. Uh, Melody's one of my heroes because she's a risk taker who's willing to get in the game and attempt things that other people only talk about. Now, my most significant ministry leadership risk as a younger leader was planting a new church. Uh, I was uh, in my late 20s, just about to turn 30. I had three children. Uh, six weeks old was the youngest, five years old the oldest. I was pastor of a church where I'd been for six and a half years, and it was a growing church. It was a more traditional style church, but it had many strengths about it. Um, it I was adequately, adequately cared for financially and had uh, an associate pastor and some other help in the church to uh, extend my ministry. Um, everything was good about that situation. I, I, I look back on it, and I see now that while it obviously had its challenges and difficulties, every ministry does, it was a really good place for me to get launched in ministry and to learn ministry, and I was happy there. And yet there was something about the dream of starting a church that just wouldn't go away, and finally we decided to fulfill that dream by moving to Oregon. So we left all that behind and moved to Portland, Oregon to plant a church with four families in a middle school gymnasium. That was a risk. Um, we didn't have... Uh, great financial security in doing that. We, we didn't have uh, infrastructure of friends and family that would be a great, uh, that would provide us security like we had in the former church. We, we didn't have a, a financial base in the, in the new church that we could depend on going forward. We, we didn't know if we would be welcomed into the community where we were going. We didn't know how our children would adjust to the move. There, there were a lot of risks that were taken. But quite honestly, in the moment, we, we were more focused on the obedience than we were on the risk. We knew that God was calling us, and we knew that while we were taking a risk, it was an appropriate risk. We were taking a risk not to be frivolous or to do something foolish. We were taking a risk to fulfill uh, God's call in our lives and to do something that was definitely according to his will and according to his purposes. We were going to plant a church to try to expand the gospel, to enlarge the kingdom. And because of all those reasons, we felt like the risk was appropriate and we were willing to take it. Now, I guess as I've gotten older, uh, I look back on that experience, I, I see it in two different ways. 
I see it in one way. I, I look at that risk and say, well, it was a, it, it really wasn't much of a risk. I, I mean, I, 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 I had my family, I had my faith, I had some friends, we had some finances. Uh, and at the time, I, I really thought this is appropriate. It's something that we're going to do. It may be a bold step, but it's a good step. But now that I'm older, I look back on it, and I especially look back on it through the lens of now looking at young families in our seminary, our young family ministry leaders that I'm mentoring or working with, and I wonder, how did we do that? I look at young families now, and I find myself being careful that I don't caution them about not taking risk, because I see what they're willing to do to move into new church plants or move into struggling church situations or to go around the world and be a missionary in a different place and all the challenge that goes with that. And I want to tell them, now wait, now wait, now wait. And I look back on what we did, and I wonder, how did we do that? And I try to discourage people today from taking those same risks, and I have to be careful about that. So the risks that we take, we, we, we may see different perspectives on them as years go by, and we have to be careful that we don't become too risk-averse as the years roll by. And that sort of leads me to the next point that I want to make, and that is, as we consider risk, that... Uh, we have to recognize sort of the two perspectives, the, res- the perspective that younger leaders might have on taking risk and the perspective that older leaders might have on taking risk. First of all, you know, younger leaders have much less to lose by taking ri- big risks than older leaders do. Younger leaders have much less to lose. So the challenge for emerging leaders or for younger leaders is to risk wisely. To risk wisely. My son, my oldest son, is another one of my heroes. He's uh, uh, works for the government. He's worked overseas for years, and he's worked in some difficult places. And when he was preparing to go to the first one of those places, I remember saying something like this to him. I said, I don't mind if you give your life, but don't throw it away. And that's what I mean by risking wisely. It's important for younger leaders to take risks. If not, we're never going to have new churches, and we're not going to have new ministries, and we're not going to have expanding programs and projects. We have to take some risk, and younger leaders have to take those risks, but they have to take those risks wisely, counting the costs, measuring the opportunity, and not being foolish about risk-taking, but being faith-filled in the risk-taking. Now, this is a challenging thing to discern. How do you know uh, when a risk that you're considering is foolish or when it's faith-filled or faithful? Well, there's a couple of ways. First of all, uh, you need to really think through your risk in the context of its relationship to God's kingdom. If this is a risk that really will advance God's kingdom, if it's fulfilled, then it's probably worth taking. But be very careful that you're taking the risk in the appropriate way for the appropriate purpose. Then a second thing to consider is, what do wise counselors say to you about this? Now, as I've already said, you know, sometimes I have to fight the tendency to be overly cautious with younger leaders and say, be careful, be careful. But most of the time, I give good counsel about taking risks because I see the value in it, and I'm able to help a person think through the different aspects and issues of it and encourage them at the same time raising some appropriate cautions in their lives. You know, I look back in, in my life, and I realize that Sometimes I realized that I've been willing to take some risks because of the encouragement that I received from older leaders who said, this is appropriate, go for it. 
Um, my mom was actually a strong encourager for me growing up and even in my early ministry years. When I would talk with her about uh, something I was considering, she would almost always say, well, go for it. Well, yes, you ought to try that. Yeah, that can be done. Yes, I can see the value in that. And then I think about when I proposed relocating the seminary. Actually, we had announced the relocation, and very quickly after that, I received a handwritten letter from a former president of Gateway. And he said, this should have happened when I was president back in the 1980s, and it's now time, and you're the one to lead it, and I want you to know that I'm cheering for you. I believe in you. I think this is the right thing. It was such a moving letter, written a handwritten letter in his scrawl, 80-plus uh, years old now, but taking the time to painstakingly write to me and say, this is a risk worth taking. So how can you know as a younger or an emerging leader if a risk is foolish or faith-filled? Well, first of all, ask yourself the hard question, will this risk I'm considering really advance God's kingdom? And if it will, then it's likely worth taking. And then secondarily, talk to some older leaders who've been down the path a little farther than you have and ask them to reflect on the risk with you and to, to, to sort out, is this something that you're doing to satisfy your own ego needs or something that really will extend God's kingdom? Is this something that you're doing that really doesn't have any reasonable sense or even any spiritual sense of, of, of confident success? Or is this something that really does have that? And as you talk to a leader, uh, a wiser leader, an older leader, you'll get that kind of good counsel. That'll help you to know when to take a risk as a younger leader. But now, let me talk to those of you who are a little older in the process. The, the, the challenge for maturing leaders or for older leaders is not to become so risk-averse as the stakes get higher. You know, when I made the decision to relocate the seminary, the stakes were pretty high. And the hard reality is, as a leader gains more and more influence and more and more responsibility, the stakes for risk-taking become much more significant. And I'm not talking just about the financial stakes. I'm talking about the people's lives who've been entrusted to us as leaders, church members and employees and others that are impacted by the decisions we make. The greater the responsibility you have, the more breadth of responsibility God gives you, the greater the risks have both for good and for bad in the lives of followers and in the, and in the future of your organization. It's important as you, as you mature as a leader, as you become an older leader, that you're willing to still take risks to advance God's kingdom. Now, that's challenging, but essential. Um, our church planting experience was seminal in establishing a life trajectory of risk-taking, both for me, my wife, and also for our children, as I've illustrated on this podcast. But that life trajectory doesn't expire at a certain point in life. In other words, you don't get to 40 or 45 or 50 or 60 and say, that's it, no more risk for me. No, you have to be willing to say, if this will advance God's kingdom, I'm willing to take that risk. When you do this, when you do this, you maintain the vitality of pursuing a continuing relationship with God and the continuing possibility of his progress through you. Leaders take risks. Get out of the boat. Build a personal portfolio of risk-taking experiences. Have a series of memories that you can recount about how you've taken risk in the past and how God has sustained you. When you take risks, God will protect you and God will reward you. 
And as you accumulate these risk experiences, as you mentally catalog them, they become future reminders to keep taking risks, even as the stakes are higher and higher and higher in your leadership trajectory. The more responsibility you have, the greater the risks. But the portfolio of risk-taking that has brought you to the place you are today gives you confidence that God will work through you as you continue to take risks to advance his kingdom. You know, once you learn the lessons of risk-taking obedience on a smaller scale, God has a way of expanding your opportunity and challenging you to take steps you never, ever imagined. So get out of the boat and get out of the boat again and again and again and again. You have to stay ready for the next opportunity when Jesus says, come. When he asks you to come into the future with him in a way that may seem bold, may seem difficult, may seem risky, as a leader, you have to be willing to go to get out of the boat. So leaders take risks. It's a part of what we do. I'm challenging you to take a risk to follow God. Do what he's asked you to do as you lead on.